Happy New Year. Can you believe that 2023 is already here? I mean, my goodness. Who stayed up and actually made it through the new year? Oh, man, a lot of you guys. Wow. I'm impressed. Well, you know, it is so exciting for us as a church family to begin this new year together. And for some of us, it's a sigh of relief because the new year is an opportunity for us to have a fresh new start in life. I love that scripture in Lamentations that talks about, you know, his mercies are fresh every morning, aren't they? For others, it's a chance to reset. It's a chance to refocus. But if we're not careful, we'll end up focusing on the wrong things or maybe the right things with the wrong motives. So often when we approach a new year, we either look back and we have a bunch of regrets or we look forward and we have a bunch of lofty goals to improve ourselves. But either way, the focus is often on ourselves. You know, Alexander Bruce in his book, The Training of the Twelve, he said this, the whole goal of satanic policy is to get self-interest recognized as the chief end of man. I'd say Mr. Bruce was spot on. Even though what he wrote was from more than 150 years ago, it's still relevant today. The world is constantly pushing self-help this and self-help that. I'm so tired of seeing that all over the place. No matter where you look, it's always the propagation of self. The whole world wants us to focus on who we are or who we could become. Because the more consumed that we are with ourselves the more distracted that we become from fulfilling what God's purpose is for our lives. And so what if we flip our focus this year? What if instead of focusing on who we are or who we should become, we focus on who God is? Because if we focus on who God is, we'll better understand who we are and who he wants us to become. But to do that, it's going to take an investment of your time. And one thing I can assure you of is this. You'll never regret the time that you spend with God. You may have a lot of regrets in this life, but I can promise you that time spent with God is not going to be one of them. So how many of you have ever made a New Year's resolution and a few days or a few weeks or a few months later, you never accomplished it? Come on. How many of you have a habit or habits that need breaking? Yeah. May this year be the year that changes everything. May this year be the year that resolutions that honor God be fulfilled. May this year be the year that unhealthy habits, whether they're physical or spiritual, are shattered. May this year be the year that addictions of any kind are broken. If your struggle has been with pornography in the name of Jesus, may that addiction be destroyed. If your struggle has been with alcohol, in the name of Jesus, may this be shattered. If your struggle is in your marriage, in the name of Jesus, may there be complete forgiveness, reconciliation, restoration, and unity. Whatever the struggle, whatever your addiction, whatever your sin, any stronghold of any kind that keeps you becoming all that God wants you to be, may it all be smashed and destroyed in Jesus' name. Now, how many of you want this year to be different? I should see every hand go up on that. That's why we're going to flip our focus for this year. 
Instead of focusing on who we are or who we should become, we're going to focus on who Jesus is. Because once we understand who Jesus is, this will set the stage for who we are and who he desires for us to become. And what better way for us to begin this new year together than with a new message series all about Jesus and what he said that defines who he is. So turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. We're going to look at verses 18 through 20 together. And if you don't have a Bible, there's some here on the shelf that you're welcome to borrow, or you can follow along up on the screen. One day while Jesus was praying, he asked his disciples this. He said, who do the crowds say that I am? They answered, John the Baptist, others, Elijah, still others, that one of the ancient prophets has come back. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Now, Jesus didn't ask this question because he didn't know the answer. Of course he knew the answer. He knows everything. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He also didn't ask this question out of some kind of self-conceit or narcissism like he had an ego or something. Jesus had no desire to fish for praise or compliments. No, this question was designed specifically for provoking the disciples to consider their level of faith. All of those named here, John the Baptist, Elijah, the ancient prophets, they all had one thing in common. They were all dead. It was easy for the Jewish people to rationalize who Jesus was because bringing an old hero back from the dead just seemed logical to them. But Jesus wanted more than the crowd's response. That was just his way of getting right to the heart of the matter. Who do you say that I am? In other words, he's saying this. Are you following the crowd about me? Are you going with what everyone else thinks about me? Or do you have a more real response? You see, this question provokes us to really consider who he is and where we place our hope. I want you to really think about your answer. Who do you say that I am? Am I your job? Am I your spouse? Am I your entertainment? Your news? Am I your health? Am I your genie in the bottle? Am I your slot machine? Or am I your everything? Not only was this question the most important question his disciples would have to answer, it's the ultimate question for all of humanity today. We can't answer this question without revealing who we are. Or we could say it like this, who we are reveals who we've decided Jesus to be. This question smacks us in the face with our level of commitment, our own discipleship, and our own identity. If we haven't come to Jesus as our Lord and Savior and trusted in Him, meaning God's provision for our sins, we do not have the correct answer here to this question. If we are ready to obey no matter what the cost may be, then we've correctly answered this question. Because there's really only one answer that leads to forgiveness and eternal life. For it's impossible to be wrong about Jesus and to be right with God. It's impossible. You cannot be wrong about Jesus and be right with God. Your answer to this question will determine the direction and ultimate destination of your life. If you declare Jesus as the Lord of your life, the son of the living God, like Peter did when he answered this question in Matthew chapter 16, verse 16, then the direction of your life will be following in the footsteps of Jesus. And your ultimate destination will be in heaven with Jesus. But if you declare Jesus to be anything else other than 
your Lord and Savior, then you're going to follow the current of this world and you're going to end up in hell apart from God forever. And yes, it's a choice. And it really is that black and white. Jesus is not interested in what the crowds say about him. He wants to know what you say about him. Who do you say that I am? He's speaking directly to you. And it's the most important question you will ever answer in all of your life. So what I want to do throughout this series is to help us all answer this question by sharing who Jesus is in his own words. When someone uses the words, I am, it tells them something about who they are. For example, when I say, I am a follower of Jesus, I'm making a big, bold statement. I'm revealing where my identity is and what's most important to me. And in the book of John, Jesus gives us seven I am statements that point to who he is. And we're going to explore one of these each week of this series. Now, I'm not going to try to intellectually convince you of who Jesus is. I'm not going to try to do that. Because knowing about Jesus is never enough. You've got to know Jesus. I could sit up here and spout all kinds of facts and intellectually try to convince you here. But if you don't know him here, it's not really going to matter. It's not going to matter at all. You need to know Jesus personally, intimately. He desires to have a relationship with you. And because when you know him, you're going to love him. And when you love him, you're going to obey him. All I want to do is to simply show you who Jesus is in his own words. Because that's where the power is. It's in his word. And because I believe if you internalize his word, it will transform your life from the inside out. Let's pray. Father, we invite you here. We thank you for this new year. We are excited uh, to enter this new year with a fresh new start. And what better way to start this year than with you? We want to glorify you. We want to see you lifted up. And so we pray today that you'd give us ears to hear and hearts to feel in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm extremely excited about this message series. I bet that wasn't a surprise to you guys. Would it, would it? I'm always excited when I get up here. You know how exciting it is to preach God's word and to know that you're doing what you're called to do, what you were born to do? Every time I'm up here, I'm, I'm just reminded that God has set this up on purpose. And so I'm going to continue to be faithful and walk this out with you as my family. You guys are my family. You know that? Remnant family. That's what we are. You don't believe that, keep coming, because you're going to feel it. (laughs) It's going to be an amazing journey together. And what better way to start out 2023 than to flip our focus and study the words of Jesus in his own words. Now, not only are we going to be able to definitively answer Jesus' question on who do you say that I am, you're going to be able to walk out of here with some fundamental doctrine to help build your faith upon. You know, uh, Paul said this to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. He said, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Doctrine. That's just a fancy word for teaching, for instruction. And you're going to get a healthy dose of that in this, throughout this series. And if you internalize the word of God, 
If you do that, it will make you complete. There is nothing else in this world that will make you complete like the Word of God. And I want you to be thoroughly equipped. So I encourage you, lean into His Word today and every day. Now, let's begin with one of the essential doctrines about God. His immutability. Who knows what immutability is? He doesn't change. That's right. That's all that fancy word is. He does not change. Though the world is ever changing, God is not. He says in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, I am the Lord and I do not change. In other words, he is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Just because our culture continues to change doesn't mean God changes. What his word says is right and wrong is for all eternity. We don't twist his word to fit our narrative or our lifestyle. No, we need to make sure that our lifestyle aligns with his word. I'm so tired of those who want to manipulate God into whatever they want him to be for them. We can't twist God into whatever we want him to be or twist his word to support whatever we want to do or however we want to live. It doesn't work that way. He is the Lord God Almighty. We can't just put him in a box and say he's this or say he's that. He never changes. You know, you look out in culture today, you look what's happening right now in this whole movement around abortion, around the same sex, LGBTQ, and all that stuff, right? God doesn't change. His word addresses all of that, and yet you see what's happening and how it's even permeating itself into the church, into several denominations, and they're starting to change. We don't change because God never changes. His word is the same today and forevermore, period. Well, I could keep going on that one. (laughs) Now, I am is the name God used for himself in Exodus chapter 3 when Moses asked God his name. He said this in Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Moses said this, If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, What is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now, I'd love to camp on this because God said I am how many times? three times you know numbers in the bible are significant but i don't have time to go there i'll just say this god is the great i am it's what we just sang about that means he has always existed he was he is and he will forever be i am not i was not i will be but i am now the name i am is incredibly important That's why Jesus gives us seven I am statements in the book of John that we're going to study together throughout this series. Now, the number seven is significant. I will take a minute to talk about that one. It's called the number of God. It represents completeness, fullness, holiness, and perfections. What we were just talking about, wasn't it, David? In each of these I am statements, Jesus gives us a metaphor to help us better grasp who he is. And just by using the name I am, we understand that Jesus is saying he is God. How many times have you heard people say something like, Jesus never said he was God? You know what my answer to that is? You don't read your Bible then. (laughs) That's what I would say, because we just looked at it here in Exodus. What's God's name? 
I am. What does Jesus say seven times in the book of John and all these statements we're going to say? He says, I am. Hello, that is so clear. He is saying he's God. I don't know where people get that from. It's called biblical illiteracy, I guess. Read your Bible. (laughs) That was my answer. He is the Lord God Almighty. So let's just jump right in to the first I am statement. Turn with me your Bibles to John chapter 6, verse 35. You guys have no idea how long I've wanted to preach this very series. This goes all the way back to when I was pastoring a church down in the Bitterroot back in 2012 and 13. I wanted to do this series. just never presented itself, but it has today. And we're starting that journey today. So for the next seven weeks, we're going to study the words of Jesus. John chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. Now, I need to set this up so that you guys understand the backstory that led to what Jesus says here. On two different occasions, Jesus performed a miracle to feed several thousand people. In one instance that you can read about in the beginning of John chapter 6, Jesus took five loaves of bread and two fish, and he multiplied it to feed 5,000 men. In another instance, he did the very same thing, and you can read about that in Mark chapter 8. And he took seven loaves of bread and a few fish, and he multiplied it to feed more than 4,000 men. In both instances, Jesus was moved by compassion to provide for the needs of the crowd. And we know that the crowds must have been much larger than 5,000 and 4,000 because Scripture only records those numbers as the number of men who were present. We aren't told how many women or children were there. So in both instances, it was an amazing miracle to have experienced. But everyone missed the point of both of those miracles. Even Jesus' inner circle of 12 disciples, they missed the point. And we know this because Jesus rebukes them in Mark chapter 8 when they were discussing only having one loaf of bread. See, they were on this journey and they were in a boat and they'd only got one loaf of bread amongst all 12 of them and they're arguing about it going back and forth. And this is what Jesus says to them. He says, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Don't you understand or comprehend? Do you have hardened hearts? Do you have eyes and not see? Do you have ears and not hear? And do you not remember When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of leftovers did you collect? Twelve, they told them. Again, numbers are significant. How many disciples are there? How many baskets of leftovers? Oh, man, isn't that coincidence? All right, then we keep going here. When I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets full of pieces did you collect? Seven, they said. And he said to them, Don't you understand yet? There's that number again, seven. That's how many leftover baskets there were, seven. You see, Jesus rebuked the disciples for their unbelief. Where was their faith? They had witnessed Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, provide bread to thousands of people, and they did it twice. And in both instances, they missed the deeper meaning. That's just like what you and I do today. We may see or experience a miracle from God, and then you know what happens? We get this spiritual amnesia, and we forget. And then the next time that we encounter this huge challenge in our lives, we're like, oh, God, how am I going to get through this? And we forget where God delivered us somewhere along the line in the past. We get this spiritual amnesia. Where does that come from? 
I don't know the answer to that. I'm just asking because that happens to me too. It's like, man, we serve a mighty God. We, shouldn't be, we should not worry about that, right? I can do all things through him who gives me strength, man. We should stand by the power of the word and not have that lack of faith like these disciples did. You see, these miracles weren't there to fill people's stomachs. They were there to point to who Jesus is. He is the bread of life. He is the living bread that came down from heaven. He came to satisfy the spiritual hunger that we all have. And we all have this void within us that only he can fill. We are spiritually starved without him. I see so many people who try to fill this void with all kinds of things in the world. Money, sex, relationships, material things, entertainment, food, work, you name it. None of them will truly satisfy. That's all just spiritual junk food. A lot of times when we go through difficult or stressful situations in our lives, we turn to physical food to try to satisfy us. Or we eat or we drink things to try to ease our burdens. But if we put our trust or our hope in anything outside of Jesus, we will go through life being spiritually hungry, empty, and unsatisfied. Only Jesus, the true bread from heaven, can satisfy. And when we come to him, we will never be hungry or thirsty again. Now, if we go back to John chapter 6, before Jesus makes this statement that he is the bread of life, we see him rebuke the crowd that he had just fed from five loaves of bread and two fish. Now, we just talked about how Jesus rebuked his inner circle, his 12 disciples. Now, we're going to see Jesus rebuke the crowd. Here's what he says in John chapter 6, beginning in verse 26. He says, Truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs. Remember that, David? Not miracles, signs. I remember. But because you ate the loaves and were filled, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. Jesus saw right through the motivation for why the crowd was looking for him. They weren't seeking Jesus for who he was. They were seeking him for what he would give them. In other words, they didn't want him. They just wanted his blessings. Now listen to me very carefully. It's okay to want the blessings from God. But we should never want his blessings more than we want him. So we don't seek him for what we can get, what he can give us. We seek him for who he is. That's why we seek him. And Moses understood this really well. When the Israelites sinned against the Lord by building this golden calf, God told Moses in Exodus chapter 33 that he would give them the land of Canaan, the promised land, but that he himself would not go into the land with them. You might remember that. He called them a stiff-necked people, a stubborn people. I'm not going to go with you, but I'll give you the land. And you know what Moses did? Moses is like, no, I don't want any part of that. I don't want anything to do with that. It was Moses' response. He did not want the promised land unless God would go there with him. You see? That's a lesson for you and I. When we want God more than we want the blessings that he can give us, we will receive him along with anything else that's in his precious and gracious plan for our lives. We must pursue more of Jesus, not just more from Jesus. We must pursue more of Jesus, not just more from Jesus. Let that sink in for a minute. He is the bread of life. 
Now, if you think that what we've discussed so far is radical, wait till you hear what Jesus says after this statement, I am the bread of life. Up until now, we've been talking about what he said before he made this statement. Now we're going to dive in and we're going to look at what does he say after the I am statement. Buckle up, because here we go. Beginning in verse 48 of John chapter 6, he says, Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread which I will offer so the world may live is my flesh. That just blew the disciple, or excuse me, that blew the Jews' mind, man, when they heard that. They could not get past when Jesus said, my flesh. And they argued about it over and over again, you know, back and forth among themselves. They did not understand that Jesus was not talking about satisfying our physical hunger. He was talking about our spiritual hunger. And they thought he was just nonsense. And so as they're arguing, you know what Jesus does? He doesn't stop to explain it to him. You know what he does? Watch this. He just keeps going. In verse 53, I love this. He says, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood. Woo, that's radical, isn't it? You cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. You know, they must have thought he was crazy. Right? You're hearing this? What is he talking about here? He keeps going. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but will live forever. Now that is radical. This was very, very hard for the people to understand. Matter of fact, it was so hard that when you read, you find out that many who were following him actually turned back. This was the point of decision right here. Many of them stopped following him right at that moment. And Jesus wasn't talking about cannibalism here. He was using an incredibly powerful metaphor to prove his point that believing in him is essential. It's essential. We've got to have it. To eat his flesh and to drink his blood is to receive him. It's to trust in him. It's to believe in him. It's to have faith in him. And it's to be united with him. To be united with him, this means we believe the sacrifice that his body on the cross for our sins and after three days he rose from the dead. That's what being united with him means. It also means that we devote our lives to him as he requires. When we eat his flesh and we drink his blood, we have eternal life. What is eternal life? I love this. John chapter 17, verse 3 tells us exactly what eternal life is. And this is the way to have eternal life. Some translations actually say, this is eternal life to know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth, to know you. That's eternal life, right there. I remember studying, some of you in discipleship have heard this, so forgive me for repeating it again. But I remember studying Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path, right? That's what I'd always read over and over and over until one day I decided to read in a different translation. Jim, where are you in the back? Remember us talking about this, reading in different translations? So I did. I read it in the Christian Standard Bible, and it said, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, know him, and he will make your path straight. I saw that and was like, are you kidding me? Whoa. I went and looked that up. That word that's used there in Proverbs, it's the Hebrew word yada. And it means to have an intimate, personal relationship. I know that because you trace it back to Genesis. And when you look at Genesis, where that word is used, it's, God said, Adam knew his wife Eve. In other words, Adam had a physical, intimate relationship with his wife Eve. That's where that word comes from, yadah. Same word used in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 6. All right? Then you take that over to where we're at here in the New Testament. That's the Greek When you look up the Greek word for no, that's genosko. It's the companion to yada. All of this means is to have a deep, intimate, personal relationship. That's what's going on here. That is eternal life. Sometimes we think about eternal life, and that's, whoo, we're going to heaven. We get new bodies. We get all this stuff, and we get to eat watermelon and chocolate all day. (laughs) Oh, excuse me. That was my fantasy about going to heaven. (laughs) Watermelon and chocolate. Um, (laughs) Anyway, I digress. The big thing is, is we want to know our Savior. We want to know Jesus. That's what eternal life is, is knowing Him. So to have eternal life, we've got to eat His flesh and drink His blood, which means we are to know Him. We are to have a personal, intimate relationship with Him. And when we have this kind of relationship, He becomes our spiritual nourishment. He can satisfy every hunger and every longing that we have. But we need to know him. He is the bread of life. Are we feeding our faith with the bread of life? That's the question. Are we? Now, back in April of this year, I dedicated an entire message to how to feed your faith. And while I don't have time today to go through that message and talk about everything that we talked about in there, but I will give you the four practical ways that you can feed your faith. So I'll give you the Cliff Notes version right now, okay? For those of you that want to have a little homework and you want to go back and listen to that message, you can look on the handout. I've got the direct link to it, and it will provide you all those details there. Um, You can go to our website, look for the message entitled Feed Your Faith on April 24th. So, The first way that we can partake of the bread of life by feeding our faith is to start with the Word of God. Start with the Word of God. That is your spiritual protein right there. It's the greatest self-help book in all the world. There are all kinds of self-help books out there, but there's nothing greater than His Word, right? Nothing will satisfy the hunger of your soul more than the Word of God. So start with the Word of God. Number two is select supplements wisely. Now, anything that is outside the Word of God that is intended to grow your faith is a spiritual supplement. There's all kinds of them out there. There's devotionals, there's books, there's any number of resources out there that you can use to supplement your faith. But you've got to be careful. Just because something that is labeled spiritual does not mean that it's healthy for you. There's a lot of misinformation and deception in the world today. We've got to be careful. There's a lot of stuff that want to tickle our ears, and it feels good, it sounds good, but it does not align with God's Word. 
And the other thing to know is that we've always got to remember supplements must only be a supplement to your faith. They are not a substitute for the Word of God. Can you imagine if you just went through life and you didn't eat your meat and potatoes? You just got a thing of protein powder that you bought at the store and that's all you chugged all day long every day? How healthy do you think you'd be? No, you wouldn't be that healthy at all. Well, the same is true here. That's why I'm saying the Word of God is your spiritual protein and we all need protein. And we can sit here and debate on whether that's, you know, vegetable protein or meat protein and all that. I was in the health food store yesterday and the lady comes up to me and she says, hey, uh, are you vegan? <laughs> I looked at her and I said, no. She goes, well, I see you looking at all the vegans, the protein powders, you know, and all this. I said, well, I kind of like, you know, looking at plant protein. I was vegan for, uh, well, vegetarian for a year or so. And then I was like, what the heck am I doing? <laughs> I gave that up. and was like, I love meat too much, but it doesn't really matter, okay? God made all this stuff. We, d- we need to fill the right stuff in our bodies. That's what's important. But you can't do it without protein, all right? And the same is true spiritually. You've got to get that protein. But you can supplement your faith, all right? Just don't make sure that it's not a substitute for the Word of God. Number three, share your faith. Don't be a secret agent Christian because sharing your faith... <laughs> will actually feed your faith. There's a lot of 007 Christians out there, right? Aren't there? Like, how can you contain yourself? You've got the, the answer to the world's problems right here living on the inside of you. You believe in Jesus, and you're just going through life. <laughs> oh, yeah, look at you over there. And you've got the joy. You've got the answer. You can, why can't you share your faith, man? That will feed not only you, it's going to feed the people around you. So share your faith. Don't be that secret agent. Number four, starve your flesh. Our flesh is in constant battle with our faith. And you can't feed both of them. If you feed one, you're going to starve the other. Feed your flesh, and you starve your faith. Feed your faith, and you starve your flesh. And you know what's cool? The Holy Spirit is our very own spiritual fitness trainer. Do you know that? You've got your own spiritual fitness trainer in the Holy Spirit. And when we listen to Him, and when we obey Him, we will have victory over our flesh. And the more you offer yourself to Jesus, the less you will offer yourself to sin. You cannot grow spiritually without, re- without eating the right spiritual food on a consistent basis. And the right spiritual food for us to consume is the bread of life. Jesus is the bread of life. Is He the bread of your life? That's the question. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the bread of life. All sustenance, all spiritual nourishment that we need is found in you. The word tells us that all the treasures of heaven are hidden in you. All the fullness of God dwells in you. And so I pray right now, Jesus, that you would focus our hearts and our minds on you, that we would feast on you. We don't get caught up in this whole cannibalistic thinking that the world would, tw- would twist and laugh at about eating your flesh and drinking your blood. We know what that means. That's just knowing you. That's just going deeper with you. That's trusting you. That's believing in you. That's having faith in you. And so, Father, I pray that you draw us into a deep, personal relationship in 2023 so deep in fact that we know you and it becomes contagious and that we share it with other people because there's so many people that are going to die and go to hell because they don't know you and we've got that answer and so i pray that you'd give us boldness lord to speak truth and love to those that are out there i pray right now for somebody here that 
you know, you've heard this message and you're just kind of wondering what's going on here. I don't have that relationship. I don't know Jesus like I need to, but I want to. You recognize right now that it's unclear about where you'd go if you died tomorrow, but you want to make that decision today and you want to make that clear. If that's you and you want to make the decision to follow Jesus today, and I just ask you to raise your hand so I can pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. So if you're here today and you want to commit your life to Jesus, thank you. Anyone else want to do that? Want to commit their life to Jesus and say, you know what? 2023 is going to be different. 2023 is going to be different. The scripture for today in the Bible app was 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have gone. Behold, all things have become new. Anyone want to make that decision for all things to become new in their life? All right. For those of you who did raise your hand, pray this after me. Father, I recognize that I am a sinner and I am in need of a Savior and I cannot save myself. But I want to put my faith in you today. I want to put my faith because I believe in what you did on the cross for me, that you died for my sins. And so I trust you now with my life. And so from this day forward, I'm going to live for you. If you prayed that prayer, welcome to the family of God. Others of you are thinking about perhaps 2022 and what's in the rearview mirror. Some of you are trying to put that behind you as you embark upon this new year. And I just pray that um, God would take you deeper, deeper into a relationship with you. And you don't have to dwell on the past. You can press on to what lies ahead. If you've got oxygen in your lungs, you've still got purpose. And God has plans for you. And so I pray, Jesus, that uh, you just grab us by the hand and lead us this year. We love you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. amen. And so ushers, if you, can, uh, if you can help me out here, we're going to take communion. What a great message, right? To take communion. What a first day of the new year. We're going to start out and we're going to take communion together. Thank you. Scripture tells us that as you uh, go to take communion, one thing we've got to do is we've got to examine ourselves. And so as the elements are being passed out, I just want you to take a moment to examine yourself. Where do you stand? Where is your relationship with Jesus right now? Think about that. What are you holding on to that perhaps you need to let go of today? You let him have it. Take an inventory right now in your life of what you need to put before him. He sees everything anyway.
How can my life matter for you? Because let's face it, we're all here to glorify him. That's our purpose. records here that um, when he had given thanks he broke it and he said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me so let's take it now and I'm going to pray Jesus we thank you that you gave your body as the ultimate sacrifice for us You came in the body of a man. You gave yourself up so that we could live. And we thank you that because of your body being raised back to life, that we have full assurance and grace in you. And we thank you that we can live forever in you. Amen. And if you'll pull the cellophane on the the juice here. this up scripture says this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me go ahead and take that father we thank you that this is a symbol of your blood and you asked us to drink this cup in remembrance of you in remembrance of the sins that are washed by the powerful new covenant that you made between us and God. What an incredible picture of your love. And you allowed your only son to literally be poured out so that we could be in a fully restored relationship with you. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the blood that you shed for us. Amen. So I thank you all for being here today. If you need prayer, if you've got something on your mind and you'd like to come forward and have some folks pray with you, I'll be up here. Others will be up here. Feel free to come forward and we will pray with you. But thank you so much. God bless you. May 2023 be an amazing year. Amen.